0: everyone, my
1: name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 62 of the show, where we're going to be, we've already started July 1964 with the Fantastic Four Annual 2 last episode, but now we're going to dive into the comics proper with the three monthly superhero comics that were released on July 2nd of 1964.
0: That's right. And I can't think of uh, um, um, anything else to say. So should we
1: just jump right into it? Well, I should say up front that there, one of these is very important. Really? Well, it's you know we, we made a really big deal when we did Daredevil about how Daredevil was like the last new thing. Oh, um, yes. But we do have a lineup change this episode.
0: Yes, people might be missing this fella. So we'll see. <laughs> I think I was but we'll get to that. First, we got to get through two others though. Yes. And I think I'm up first cuz you did the FF annual. All right. So you have Thor or sorry, wow, I was about to say Thor number 108, but that's not fair. It's really Journey into Mystery number 108 with the Mighty Thor. Um and like you probably already said, it came out July 2nd, cover dated September of 1964. And it is by Stan Lee, the Idol of Millions, illustrated by Jack Kirby, the Toast of the Town, inked by Shickstone, the Man of the Hour, lettered by Art Simek, The People's Choice. And it's called At the Mercy of Loki, Prince of Evil, guest starring Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic. So, man, what a setup. Uh, let's get into this story that I'm going to try to remember now. Um, it starts with Thor, like waving his hammer around in public in New York on the streets. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's gone evil. What's going on? But he hasn't gone evil. What happened, I think, and we can maybe discuss this because I'm not really sure. But what happened is off camera or off panel before this big splash page of him being evil is he was flying around and he sees a guy about to get or a kid like chasing a ball into the street. But he flew past it. So... He didn't have time to go back and stop the car that's about to hit the kid. So instead, he smacks his hammer down really hard. And that makes the entire street, like, bounce with tremors, which makes the the truck, like, bounce over the kid who's laying in the street. It's very so plausible. It's very plausible. It's all supposed to have happened in, like, one second, it says in the captions and stuff. So that's how this starts. as kind of like a little red herring that Thor's gone evil. But he hasn't. He was just trying to save somebody. Um Then he goes to fly off, and just like an Amazing Spider-Man annual, suddenly there's Doctor Strange there. But unlike an Amazing Spider-Man annual, there's actually a plot point to it. Um, He uh, is calling for help, Doctor Strange. His, like, phantom ghoul ghost white face thing just appears out of nowhere and says, help me. So Thor goes over there, and he finds Doctor Strange on the floor. Doctor Strange is like, oh, I have no energy. My evil enemy, Mordo, tried to do a spell on me, and I'm... Dying. So Thor calls doctors and then remembers, oh, I am also a doctor. So he turns to Don Blake and the doctors, I guess, show up or the police or the ambulance or something. Because next thing you know, we cut to surgery. Now, I don't know what's wrong with Doctor Strange. They never really say. And I'm not sure what kind of surgery he's performing. But there's a whole room full of people and there's like a window full of people watching. Like it's this big surgery deal. The problem is, of course, is whatever's killing Doctor Strange is apparently mystical in nature so Don Blake's like I don't even know what this is but my one power is Don Blake is I can talk to daddy so
1: oh he doesn't talk to dad
0: oh I'm sorry he doesn't talk to dad dad tries to talk to him dad's going to war and as he's in surgery Don Blake is in surgery dad reaches out and says hear me my son come back to Asgard and help us fight and he's like I don't have time for that right now so then Odin so he just ignores him and Odin's like what nobody ignores their dad Nobody ignores Odin, especially Thor. He'll get his when I get back from this battle. Um, Meanwhile, Don Blake somehow manages to save the Doctor anyway with this surgery that's not very specific. And Doctor Strange is like, hey, if you ever have a favor or whatever, ever need anything from me, you let me know. Oh, and while Odin is off to war, guess who escapes Asgard? Uh, Loki turns into like a bee or something and floats past Hemdall and... Yeah, he gets down. So, Loki comes back to Earth. He masquerades as an old man. The old man hangs out in Don Blake's office waiting for him to return. The old man has a cane. Uh, the old man makes a point of falling over as Don Blake comes into the office. Don Blake, being the good guy that he is, helps him do his feet. Both canes fall to the ground. The old man hands do- or uh, Donald Blake a cane, but not his cane. Because guess what? His cane is picked up by the old man and tossed out the window only to then be revealed as Loki. He snatches, um, um, Jane. Don Blake tries to turn to Thor, but Hey, this isn't my cane. doh! So Loki gets away and he doesn't know where his cane is. Cause he like tries to hobble his way down to the street. Cause we have to remember that Don Blake can't walk very well without a cane. He is, uh, 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 uh whatever hobbled or something. Um, once he gets down the street, the cane's gone. So he cashes in his 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 favor that Doctor Strange owes him. Who's still like recovering in a wheelchair and stuff. He's like, "Hey, don't ask me any questions, but can you find my cane?" Sure, I can do that with my ectoplasm form. So he goes around. He finds a couple bums that are like turned it into a fishing rod, and uh, Don Blake goes over there to try and get it. They almost get into a fight over it, but luckily Strange is still there in his spirit form and scares the guys away. Don turns to Thor. He he then asks. Uh, uh, I don't even remember there's a back and forth communication or miscommunication between Odin and Thor like one wants them and then the other wants them and neither one of them answers so then they oh he thinks like I hate you you know you hate me because I didn't answer oh I thought you hated me because I didn't answer you know that kind of nonsense yeah um Anyway, there's also a cameo a la Amazing Spider-Man Annual of the Avengers who come by and they're like, hey, do you need our help? No, this is something I must do alone because it's my solo book. So he flies up to the top of the Empire State Building and using his Highlander Mjolnir powers, he can sense where another god is in the city. He finds Loki. Uh, They get into a fight, but Loki has an advantage in that he's kind of holding Jane hostage or Thor doesn't really know where she is exactly and then Loki like so he doesn't like go full out and then Loki creates uh, Thor's greatest weakness a hole and Thor falls in it and it turns out Loki's keeping Jane in like this weird mystical other dimension once he thinks he's defeated Thor with a hole he's gonna kill Jane but Doctor Strange is also still there even though he's not physically there to help Thor and he like blocks Loki's attempts to destroy Jane somehow with his amulet or something mm-hmm. Makes the bubble which, which gives Thor enough time to climb out of the impossible hole and he beats up uh, Loki and gives him one big Super Thor Captain Marvel punch which is enough for Loki to say okay I caved that hurt really bad my kidneys and he, he uh, reveals where Jane is and then like this cloud appears above him and an arm from Asgard is like hey you're supposed to be in Asgard and takes him back um and then Thor and Odin are kinda like, Oh, I thought you weren't talking to me. Oh, I thought you weren't talking to me. Oh, we still love each other, great. Oh, but you still like that cursed woman. How am I gonna get you to stop liking human women? Err and then Thor and Jane fly away the end. Yeah. Something like that. I think I got the communication part messed up because I don't remember exactly how it worked, but
1: it's basically right. I mean Odin reaches out to Thor to say, Hey, come fight with me and Thor's uh-huh. unavailable. Right. Then later, Thor reaches out to Dad and says, Hey, Dad, help me. And Dad's not available because he's at oh, war. right. And then Dad's like, okay. Oh, I feel bad for, you know, being mad at Thor. I reach out to him again. And of course, Thor is busy. He's so like, Can't talk right now, Dad. And, uh, yeah, so it's where just, were you when I needed you? Right.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: The time to yeah. talk is past. Right. So this was, um, mm. Doctor Strange's second team up with Thor, which. I never really think of Dr. Strange and Thor as being a match.
0: You mean the first one where like, they didn't know they teamed up kind of, is that the the, uh,
1: strange tales issue? Uh Uh-huh. Right. It's almost like, so Thor and Loki appeared in Dr. Strange in Ditko's Uh book. And now Dr. Strange is appearing in Thor. It's almost like Kirby is trying to get Ditko back, except that when Ditko used Thor, it was right after Kirby had used Dr. Strange in the fantastic four. So Dick was oh. just making it even, and now Kirby is escalating, and when will we ever have world peace? Jeez, maybe that is the behind-the-scenes. Who knows? I don't know.
0: Um, it's an okay story. I don't know if it was like my favorite. There was some cool I like the you know Don Blake and Doctor Strange interactions. That was interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I do think it's like weird that we don't really know what's wrong with Doctor Strange or what kind of surgery they're doing or any he of that stuff. He has May but.
1: sickness. He has
0: had a sickness. yeah that's what it is
1: he's just sick that's the worst I mean, the, the, he has he has a bad case of sick and he has to go have surgery to repair the illness right so that's,
0: that is exactly what they said i think
1: mm-hmm. and it's a supernatural sick so he has to tap into his thor brain to do the physical surgery and cure the supernatural illness
0: <laughs> okay that's how he did he didn't ask his dad for help that was later i forgot yeah yeah, so that was kind of cool. He's like a doctor, but he also has supernatural knowledge now because he has that part of his brain, too. So now he's a doctor doctor. Yeah. He's, a, he's an Asgardian doctor, too. And we've sorta. seen
1: both Thor and Don Blake tap into the mind of the other. That's becoming a thing they can do now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Doctor Strange was called the master of black magic in this, which we have not had for a while.
0: Yeah, I still think that's a weird tagline, but that's just because my modern sensibilities associates black magic with bad magic. but. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what they meant. I think all magic was just black in the 60s or something.
1: Do you think that it's head canonable? that's a word now, uh-huh. that Doctor Strange realizes Thor's secret identity here?
0: Well, if he later revealed that he figured it out, I wouldn't be upset about it. I don't know. Like, it is kind of weird. Like, hey, find my stick. Trust me. Right. And he does it. Now, is he just finding a stick, or is he knowing that he's finding a magic stick?
1: Well, see, I was thinking about this, because Doctor Strange calls Thor. Uh I seem to feel a thought reaching out, calling me in desperation. Thor, I sensed your presence. I knew you'd come. (sighs) Oh, good point. And then, um, Doctor Blake is the one who heals Doctor Strange. Mm Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange wakes up, and Don Blake is there, and he says, if you ever need anything, I'll be there for you. And... It seems like Doctor Strange is responding to Doctor Blake in the way that he would have responded to Thor for saving him.
0: And I just thought of this, but these are also both two doctors slash surgeons. Um, And theoretically, Doctor Strange knows what his affliction was, that Mordo Mm -hmm. cast a bad spell on him. So he would probably know that a regular human Don Blake surgeon could not fix what he fixed Mm -hmm. on his own. So that could be another way he knows that there's more to Don Blake than meets the eye.
1: If anyone's going to look at Don Blake and just realize he's Thor, it's going to be Doctor Strange.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And later when Don Blake says, hey, I can't tell you what's going on, but my walking stick is gone. I've got to find it. And Doctor Strange is like, you don't have to explain. You know, you've got your own stuff going on. I can help you. I I realize how how desperate you are. And he just does it. And I think it reads very nicely if Doctor Strange has secretly intuited what's going on here.
0: It's kind of fun or funny how like we take for granted nowadays, like most people know who the secret identities are when you're in the business you're in Mm -hmm. with the other person. But like these early issues, like they write blogs and essays and stuff on when so-and-so found out about so-and-so. And And it's often way later than I would have assumed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I remember being really disappointed at how much of a non-event it was whenever the Justice League finally realized who each other was. Mm -hmm. like there's not even a moment it's just like after a while they just start knowing
0: yeah because like because i think when you're writing you just assume that in the past this has already been figured out Mm -hmm. because you've been justice leagues or avengers working together forever so some other writer before me must have established that thor knows who iron man is right so let's just assume that and keep going but no that's never been the case
1: And one of the cooler moments in modern Avengers comics was whenever they make Spider-Man unmask after the secret invasion thing. It's during the whole post one more Day era, whenever his secret identity has been covered back up again. But it's just like, okay, so Spider-Man, we need to know that we can trust you. We need to know who you are because we just went through this whole thing where we didn't know who anybody was. We couldn't trust anyone. And so you got to take your face off. Yeah. And uh, and he does.
0: Yeah. Learned our lesson there. Going around as Avengers, not knowing who anybody is. It's kind of a drag.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one point where Don Blake is described as having a cool commanding voice. And if oh. you had told me back in journey into mystery 83, that this guy had a cool commanding voice, I would not have believed you.
0: Yeah, that's Don Blake's a weird cat. Cause like we've already, we are always shocked that he knows like government officials and, and high up people. So like he must even with this problem, get around and is considered cool, but I don't really think of him as cool for yeah. some reason. I
1: don't uh, know. Either. Um I don't have a whole lot of actual, you know, notes of story or character or import. Um Mm-mm. I thought it was amusing on page 8 whenever Loki says I've come to end our rivalry by killing you. That's a little
0: um he's really kind of up in his game from the whole ice cream streets or whatever he used to do, right? <laughs> he's not a uh, he's not a god of mischief anymore. He's kind of the god of evil jerkiness now.
1: Yeah. You know, we, we, we've we been brothers. We've been bickering ever since we were young. And, and I, I've come to end the fighting by by killing you. You're going to die now. Mm-hmm. After I went off with your girlfriend.
0: Yeah. So now he's becoming uh evil Loki. And maybe you could headcanon that, that it's just because he keeps getting defeated over and over again and he's getting annoyed. But on the other hand, that's been happening in his whole, you know, immortal existence. So why now?
1: Yeah.
0: Um wonder what kind of war Odin's going off to. Is that just a common thing in Asgard? They go to war all the time?
1: I, I I feel like that was just a natural thing. Like, you know, got storm giants somewhere. You got to put them down. I feel like, you know, in the movies we're, we're presented with the nine realms are at peace. But, like, uh-huh. they, had to, they had to make that peace happen. And between Thor and Thor the Dark World, that peace was not so set anymore.
0: So apparently in this Marvel Universe, at least in 1964, Asgard... Doesn't do that on Earth, though, often or ever, because we would probably notice Mm -hmm. going to war with us. So they're going to war with eight or, you know, the other
1: seven realms, I guess. Right. Other out there in in Asgard heaven. And humans are
0: just being left to think of them as gods from a long time ago. Maybe that did or didn't exist until Thor showed up.
1: Um, uh, 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 I'm wondering uh, randomly now if, if other beings and others of the nine realms look to any of the other realms as deities or gods does anyone in muspelheim or niflheim or whatever worship as guardians <laughs> or storm giants or whatever
0: it seems like the asgardians consider themselves the top dogs of the realms but i guess that's not necessarily true yeah i feel like because where, where would like olympus fall in these nine realms or is that just a whole different page somewhere else
1: yeah i feel like that's a, a parallel thing
0: Okay. So there's nine realms, but that's not the entirety of the universe.
1: No, that's the entirety of the universe that Asgard cares about.
0: Right. But I assume in Norse mythology, it's the entirety of the universe. Yeah. I don't know.
1: It's Maybe weird that's if, not you, true. if you really like try to draw the geography of it cuz like, you know, Midgard is part of Yggdrasil, the tree of life, and all the different realms are part of that. But at the same time, in Greece is Mount Olympus which reaches up to the home of the gods in Mm -hmm. you know olympus uh at the same time you have you know the the various asian pantheons and i remember there was a mini series during secret invasion the second time we talked about that story where like all the different pantheons teamed up together to fight the scrolls wow so that was pretty cool
0: so that i guess that's a quote-unquote problem you might have if you're trying to incorporate all these different uh, mythologies as facts i guess in Mm -hmm. the same universe because there's going to be issues with that so i guess we just assume the nine realms is a part of the universe and there's lots of other realms that have like hercules in them and stuff
1: and they can go from one to the other because they do thor and hercules meet each other and 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 that happens but Mm -hmm. i don't think it's super easy if i remember the first time that thor and hercules meet there's like something where they act like thor accidentally stumbles across the portal realm boundary or something and didn't mean to
0: So that just makes me wonder, and it's not going to answer in this book, but like, does that mean that uh, of the nine realms, does that mean that Odin thinks he's the boss of those nine realms, which include us? And does anybody else come along, like say Zeus or something and go, um, actually, no, I'm in charge. Or, uh, you know, who gets to control what we know and don't know, you know,
1: there's during the, the era of Thor, of the Eternals saga, there is some stuff with like Thor, with Odin and Zeus, and working together to deal with the whole Eternals situation. So like, like the heads of the pantheons are aware of the other pantheons, and there is like almost like a camaraderie or an agreement or a, I don't know uh-huh. a ceasefire pact of truce or some sort.
0: Yeah, like it reminds me of that scene in Kingdom Come where all the ethereal figures are hanging out deciding fates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I imagine the same thing happens in Marvel, like big, powerful heads of heads of mythology probably hang out together once in a while to come up with rules and things.
1: Yeah. I don't know. So just the last couple comments on this story, like the Avengers show up and they are like all up in his gear. Like they're just like, dude, Thor. And they're like in his face and Thor's like, no, no, get away. I must fight this on my own. This
0: is very reminiscent of the annual we just covered with Spider-Man who said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like the Avengers are probably going to start developing a complex pretty soon. <laughs> and it's kind of weird that they're, he's, he's just so into, you know, shooing them into stories that they don't do anything, but they're there.
1: Well, I actually kinda like that you know, occasionally you have a solo Avenger story that like the team will show in and interact with the solo character. Yeah. I think it should be handled with a little bit more like, I don't know, grace than it is here. But like the idea of, hey, you're an Avenger, we're we're Avengers, do you wanna go Avenger this together? And Yeah. That seems like a yeah. natural move.
0: Yeah, the idea of this whole like I wanna do it alone thing is just kind of bonkers, but
1: it is a little bonkers. Yeah. I must go find my woman alone. Yeah. Um I was amused because Thor's hammer evidently has line of sight detection of any immortal.
0: Yes. Like you said, I think last time we talked about Thor, Thor's hammer can do whatever it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a cool idea, but at the same time, do other gods have the ability to sense when a god is near? Because they don't have hammers. So is it just exclusively a hammer thing? Or is it a God thing or both or
1: whatever? I don't know. Heimdall can see them. If he looks at them, he can see them coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how Odin's sight seems to be pretty limited as far as, you know, godly vision might go. Although mm-hmm. he can project his eyes out there. So I guess I guess if he looks, he can see. Right. Um, he's just not self-aware. He's just not aware his, of everything. Yeah. He's basically using satellite technology here. Like this is this is one of those things about like the whole flat earth conversation is like – The entire reason we have stuff like cell towers and satellites and everything is because of, you know, curvature of the Earth. And the Mm -hmm. higher you go, the more Earth you can access because you're above the curvature. Mm -hmm. Um, It is worth pointing out because he says the line, I'll go so high even to the other end of the universe if I have to. I'm like, okay, you're going to get diminishing returns after a while. You're going to get farther (laughs) from Earth and like the other half of the planet is always going to be blank to you no matter what.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But anyways, but, uh, geometry yeah. and math and all that stuff.
0: And magic, yeah.
1: But I like uh, a lot of this. Um, I feel like it's it feels like a weirdly pointless story when you take it all together, but like a lot of the bits and pieces are pretty cool.
0: I'm liking that Doctor Strange is getting more screen time, but I would like him to actually participate in some of these adventures. They keep mm-hmm. relegating him to be like the guy who does the thing that they need done, but otherwise stay out of my way.
1: Right, he's the mystical plot device.
0: Yeah, so maybe next time he can actually show up and have a cape or something. That'd be cool.
1: Although we uh, can't really say there, there haven't really been a whole lot of like, I'm going to go over to your book and team up, and then you're uh, going to come over to my book and team up. That doesn't really happen a whole lot. I think Spidey and Torch are the only ones who've been doing that.
0: Yeah, because like, even Ant-Man, when he went to help the Fantastic Four, didn't help them fight. He just gave them advice on shrinking. Mm-hmm. And then later it gets captured immediately, you know? Like and they never not... came to
1: his book to play.
0: I guess the Avengers and the Fantastic Four fought the Hulk, sort of. But That's about it. Yeah, we haven't had like a team-up, team-up. That's true. All right, but guess what? There's a backup story. Tales of Asgard. Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. It's called Trapped by the Trolls. Fantastically written by Stan Lee. Faithfully drawn by Jack Kirby. Fabulously fabulously inked by Vince Coletta. Finally lettered by Art Simek. Finally. This, this is kind of a, you know, whatever. Like, so I think it's going to be a fast summary. Because what happens is Thor uh, goes under... Whoops, I spoiled it already. Some guy wearing all yellow with a stick and stuff goes says he lost his way and can he get shelter and he's asking the dwarves and they're like sure you can come in but haha we actually captured you and we're going to put you in our internment camp and make you work and stuff hey what's in your bag it's a hammer oh you're really thor yes because i actually got caught on purpose because i wanted to free all the asgardian prisoners which he does he leads a revolution they get out he seals the hole that the dwarves are in and the end Right? That's all that really happens. And
1: he creates... He ends slavery for all time. Oh, right. He's the one who cured slavery. I forgot. Yeah, Thor cures slavery. In Asgard or everywhere?
0: He says everywhere. Well, this must take place in, you know, 20 years?
1: Maybe. A thousand years? I don't know. Yeah, weird. Um, The king of the dwarves here, Sentry, this is his second and as far as I could find, last appearance... So I guess he and the magician are going to go off together to the land of two appearance characters. Okay. Um, we did see him in issue 103. Do you remember Remember how Thor had to deliver a branch of Yggdrasil to Mir so he could make the first <laughs> humans out of it? Oh, yes. And so Thor, he went to Mir in a flying spaceboat. Right. He got that flying spaceboat, which was called Skibladnir. He got that from Sindri. Okay. And the flying space boat has significantly more appearances than Sindri has. So Sindri helps him with a
0: boat, but then also enslaves his people? I guess. I guess. Like, the whole dwarf thing is interesting because, like, I'm a, you know, D&D Lord of the Rings guy where I just think of dwarves. When you say dwarves, I think of a species of people that, you know, probably range from good to bad like humans do. Mm -hmm. And this is much more like, a, you know, like they're these evil sub-species of trolls or something
1: i guess they're mischievous and have occasionally captured people and when they capture the people they force them to work because dwarves are always industrious that's one thing that i was associate with dwarves is they're always uh-huh. mining and working and making right and so enslaving other people to the mining and working and making for them would make sense except like the lord of the rings dwarves like take pride in their making and like they would never have like human slaves make stuff for them because they're the friggin dwarves they're gonna do it themselves
0: and like the one dwarf, uh like what's his name? You already told me and I forgot already. Um, Sindri looks different than like the weird pink demon things in the caves that are actually doing the enslaving. So are they supposed to be the same kind of people or
1: I, don't I know. think so. There's it's just weird. enough similarity that if you took off his hat, he might look like one of them. I guess, yeah, that's true. That's interesting. I'm sure it's totally true. <laughs> Before we get to those uh, those comments, had you guessed this was Thor from the first page? Uh, yeah. But he looks cool. He does look cool. It's not much of a mystery, though, is it?
0: No. I mean, pretty much all these backstories are about Thor.
1: Right. Unless the other person's it, in the title.
0: It could have been about Balder, because we have been having a Balder run, so possibly it was Balder, but nah.
1: And at the end, Thor says, Nevermore shall men make slaves of others, not in Asgard, not on Earth, not any place where the hammer of Thor can be swung or where men of good faith hold freedom dear. And I was like, okay, that's a nice sentiment and all for 1964, but it's really, really disingenuous. He certainly did not follow through with that. Nope. (laughs) That's a lot of work for
0: him. Just, you know, having to maintain that. Sealing one hole, how does that lot somehow like uh you know, carry over to the rest of the entire universe?
1: I don't know. Yeah, but
0: there's there's slaves everywhere. Not just Earth, but I imagine, you know, Skrull's probably got slaves and Kree's got slaves and I don't know what else.
1: I guess those are places that either Thor can't swing his hammer or men of good faith don't hold freedom dear. Whoops. Oops. So going to our uh, notes from our Asgardian advisor, and this is Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. He is at Hammer underscore Strikes on Twitter, and he has several podcasts of his only puts together. He comments on these tales of Asgard for us because he is a worshiper of the Norse gods. And he says, this is not the first time or maybe it is, since we don't know exactly where the timeline falls, that Thor has gone undercover to thwart the enemies of Asgard. Oh. The other time was when the giants stole his hammer and demanded that Freya marry their leader as the ransom. Loki convinced the gods that they should agree to the terms, but dress Thor up as the bride, his face being covered by a veil and the ruse works. And eventually the giant Thrymer brings out Mjolnir and places it in the bride's lap as a wedding gift. At this point, Thor unveils himself and kills all of the giants, which is kind of like this story. Yeah, uh, so he's that's the thing
0: a- he does. I like the idea of Thor being an undercover guy.
1: That's kind of weird. Yeah, but it's neat. Uh, is says, keep in mind that in the lore, Mjolnir is simply too heavy to be handled by any god other than Thor. But if a giant was strong enough, they could lift it, which is how they give Thor the hammer and the giants steal his hammer. huh. So we have never seen anybody else other than Thor lift the hammer in this. And really, at this point in the comics, there have been only hints that maybe there's something going on besides strength. It's pretty much been a strength thing.
0: I like it being a strength thing. I mean, worthy is cool. It's very mythological and stuff, but a lot of times it's like, what does that mean? What does yeah. worthy mean? It's kind of a cooler idea that this guy's just so dang strong that he can lift it and not only lift it, but wield it.
1: So, any other thoughts on Thor? Um, I thought that we could move on to the next one. The next one, the X Men. The X Men. X Men 7. So this is the return of the blob and also co-featuring the evil you-know-whos. Who? I don't know who they're talking about. They've been in every issue since number four, right? Four, <laughs> right? five, six, and seven. We need a new group, I think. Well, this is their last appearance for a little while, so we're going to get it. a wish. Um, it's also the first time that both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have been colored correctly on the cover. Oh, wow. That's cool. Quicksilver has been blue and Scarlet Witch was correct last time, but she was green for the first couple of uh, of covers. I got to say, I know her name is Scarlet, but I did like the green. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was cool, but Jade Witch does not have the same ring to it. No,
1: Vermilion Witch just doesn't quite work. (laughs) All right. So um, the X Men are graduating. Yeah. With school. Yay. Comics over. Bye. Yep. Um, They do a little photo shoot, they get uh, fake diplomas, and they're having their graduating class. And and Xavier sits them all down to have the talk about how they're getting older now, and there are changes going on in their bodies. And that means that they're Mm homo-superior, which is a whole different thing uh, than human beings. And we've got to, you know, fight the evil mutants, and yeah. Also, I'm going to leave, so... Y'all can live in my house. There's going to be a new leader. I'll tell you more about that later uh, because we have a uh, change of scenery. Yeah. So we go to an old uh, ramshackle mansion. Evidently, it's Mastermind's mansion. And the next meeting of the Brotherhood is going to be here. Scarlet Witch has shown up first. And Mastermind tries to put the moves on her and she will have none of it. Uh, He actually starts to attack her. And Magneto shows up just whenever that happens and throws a pot at Mastermind's head. Uh, Quicksilver's like, Wanda, are you okay? And she's like, No, I'm fine. I'm sure It's cool. You didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and Magneto says that they have a new plan to defeat the X Men. Um, then Xavier is talking to Scott back at the mansion. And he's like, Okay, so you know what? You no, know I said there'd be a new leader. That's you, dude. And Scott's like, Me? I'm the new leader? So, Xavier's like, yeah, in fact, I want to show you a super secret thing that I have. And he opens up the uh, Forbidden West Wing, and there is this huge old Kirby geometry device going on called Cerebro, which is an ESP enhancer. And all of the wires from that machine lead to this little panel in my office, and you can find out where mutants are this way. So, you're going to be the leader, and yeah, yeah. So the next morning, all the X-Men are ready to go have a day. They're going to go out in the town. They come to get Scott and they come to tell the Xavier they're going to go out. Xavier has gone and Scott is sitting at his desk. He's like, I must um, be the leader. I was actually going to leave the X-Men, but now I'm the leader. So I've got to stay here and, <laughs> and do leader things while y'all go off and have fun. Gene, Warren, please don't make out and have babies while I'm here. So they leave and they go have fun and Gene and Warren don't make out and have babies. Um, Cerebro is beeping. It's like this like forlorn scene of Scott City there as the beeping goes on. Magneto, meanwhile, goes to a carnival in full Magneto fuchsia regalia. He's like, I can walk around as Magneto because no one ever cares in a carnival if you're dressed weird. He goes and finds the blob. He realizes the blob's a mutant. Magneto uses his telepathy because he's totally telepathic, uh, to scan the Blob's mind and realizes that the Blob had a mental block put into place in issue three. And he's like, oh, I'm going to fix that. And now the Blob is like, hey, I'm a mutant. And so Magneto and the Brotherhood kind of attack the carnival. Um, they talk to the Blob and the Blob's like, sure, I'll come with you. Um... We can go be a uh, brotherhood and be evil together. And at that point, whenever the blob realizes that he is the blob, Cerebro goes, tweet, 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 tweet. And uh, Scott's like, oh, no, it's the blob. Meanwhile, Bobby and Hank are hanging out at a Greenwich Village coffee shop. Um, and there's music and there's dancing and there's beatnik poetry and they're like, Xavier, not Xavier, Hank, you know, just kick back and relax. He's like, okay, I got to take off my shoes, though. And he pulls off his shoes. Of course, Hank has feet the size of Wisconsin. And everyone else is like, oh, my God, dig those crazy digits. <laughs> and they start, like, making this big old hullabaloo over over Beast's feet. He's not extremely comfortable with that. Um, the waitress flirts with Bobby. Bobby awkwardly flirts back. They start drawing faces on uh, Hank's feet. And then Angel shows up and says, yo. Blob's alive. Red alert. We got to get out of here. Stay so get out of there. Um, the Brotherhood go to this factory that Magneto has, you know, just in case. Um, the X-Men get all costumed up. Uh, they they go after the Brotherhood at the factory. They're flying in on their helicopter, but Magneto uses his Magneto powers to dismantle the helicopter. Uh, they see the Blob, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's the Blob!" And they try to take on the Blob, and um, Angel can't beat him, and Jean Grey tries to lift him, but his feet stick to the ground. Um, Magneto launches missiles at them, which they try to redirect, and then like um, there's just more fighting. And at one point, it becomes apparent. Oh, Quicksilver does start knocking out some mutants, and um, Jean Grey picks Quicksilver up in the air. So he's trying to run, and he's just like running in the air, can't go anywhere. So Wanda steps in and saves her brother from Jean Grey. Pretty cool moment. Um, and then like the Blob and the X Men are all together, and Magneto's like, "Fine, I can get them all at one go," and he shoots all the missiles back at the X Men. Um, but I think they 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 hit the Blob. And they don't actually hurt him. And none of the X-Men are hurt. And Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are like, man, Magneto just tried to kill those guys. Including the Blob who's supposed to be on our side. And they're not too happy with that. But they leave with him anyway. And the Blob's like, I'm just going to go be the Blob somewhere. I hate y'all. I'm going to go back to the carny where I belong. I've lived my life as a sideshow freak. And that's how I'm going to die. And like, oh, well, I guess the story's done. But we're at this factory. And we don't really know how to get home that's how it ends. No Uber. No Uber. They're helicopters in pieces. No cab fare. Um, So there's kind of some X-Men continuity to unpack in this issue. Okay. Well, first of all, how long have they been X-Men?
0: I was very surprised as this graduation thing happened already. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I've never read any issue where they officially graduate, but I didn't think it'd be issue seven. Right? Like, give this it a is literally year. Six months or, after
1: the first. I mean, well, I guess as many years as the first issue.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess you know they didn't start out as thirteen-year-olds, so I suppose theoretically they're senior age. So yeah, I guess it makes sense. I was just, I'm always surprised when they introduce things so quickly because you know, I don't know, pace yourself or something. But
1: but but we keep on like all throughout X-Men history, they're students of Xavier. Mm-hmm. Like even in the 80s, whenever Wolverine's a 40-year-old man on the team, they're students of Xavier. That's a good point. So does that mean
0: from issue seven to uh, Giant Size X-Men number one, they're not students of Xavier?
1: That's a really good question. And especially since Xavier just left in this issue? And I, I I, am honestly leaning towards, yes, that's exactly what that means. Because as I'm thinking about the shape of the continuity over the course of this original five run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not really students going forward because in giant
0: size X Men, the people they introduce aren't students either, right? Right. Like Colossus doesn't go to freaking math class, um, but then they're always portrayed as students or students of Xavier, also. Um, but so when is it like when you start getting? Kids again, is that not till New Mutants when someone kind of resets the mold? Or
1: I guess or, when Kitty Pride wow. shows up,
0: yeah. Kitty Pryde was the first kind of kid, huh?
1: Yeah, she's the first kind of kid, and then you know it's like three or four years later that we get the New Mutants, so I guess that's the first time we get like high school students again. Why I guess the heck for-
0: was Kitty Pride not in the New Mutants?
1: She interacted with them, but she was and uh, she didn't want to be on that because she was an X-Man. Yeah, she, I guess she, showed, my downgrade. she saw her the new mutants as the kitty team, even though she was younger than some of the members. She's like, I'm a I'm an X man.
0: Yeah. Funny they graduate in the full on costume instead of I first I thought, are you just graduating from being an awesome superheroes or are you graduating from school? And it's definitely school. Cause he says that somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, he says
1: y'all have completed a prep school curriculum.
0: Right. So which I guess like, is old
1: term for high school.
0: They're taking their diploma pictures like as the X-Men, and then later he says, hey, and by the way, keep your identities and don't let anybody know you're X-Men.
1: Right, um, maybe they took more than one photo? Well, let's hope <laughs> so.
0: But speaking of identities, I don't know if this is just a one-off or whatever, but uh, Jean Grey's mask no longer has the pointy things on them if we're keeping track of costume mm-hmm. changes. I don't know if that changes back or what. But
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty fluid, but she just seems to have this uh, just face a mask. piece that tucks under her hair like an oversized domino mask.
0: Yeah, she doesn't have the wolvie mask anymore. And Iceman, also speaking of looks, he's kind of been progressing from just a snowball s- snowman to Iceman every issue, but this issue in particular, I think he finally does like the super friends thing where like he makes a block of ice and then pops out of it as
1: Iceman. Yeah, because it like breaks off his shirt that he was wearing. Right. So we that's actually a first, do too. get a moment where he officially turns into crystally Iceman. But oh, okay. His, his his look has definitely been shifting that direction.
0: Yeah, he has a face and stuff now.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay. So then we have Cerebro.
0: Okay. So this is weird. Also, this is not Cerebro. Oh yeah, there's that. But also, I was surprised it was introduced so early. Uh oh. Go ahead. Oh, I thought I lost you. Um. Yeah, that's all I had to say. I didn't know Cerebro was this was this soon in the X Men mythology.
1: Yeah. Um. And it's weird because, you know, we think Cerebra, we think it's the the device that Professor Xavier plugs his mutant brain into to scan the world. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is, though. It is a device that on its own scans the world. And it's almost like it's designed for non-telepaths, non-psychic people
0: to use. It's actually much, much more useful in this version.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because if only Xavier or equally strong telepaths can use it, then it's like, dang, we got to have one of those guys around all the time.
1: Right. He even says he doesn't actually have much use for it because his, his own powers are enough. But if he's leaving, he's giving Cerebro to Scott to use.
0: Now, the other thing that's weird about it is it doesn't just detect the blob. It's like, oh, the siren went off. It's telling Cyclops that the blob's memory has returned. So it's like not just... Finding mutants? It's stalking mutants, somehow.
1: Yeah, it's weird when it decides to register a mutant. Okay, because obviously is just walking around. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Toad is walking around out there. Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, they're just traipsing about. Cerebro's not saying anything to detect them. The Blob right. is also just walking around in the carnival. He is still a mutant. Cerebro does nothing. But then Cerebro, like, cares when the Blob realizes he's a mutant. So... After much thought and deduction, I have decided that Cerebro's power is to detect when a mutant is going to be important to the story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that could be, or I don't know what what the other explanation could be. It's funny that there's like a little sign on it that says, Known Hostile Mutants, Magneto, Toad, Mastermind, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Blob, which is blinking. Mm -hmm. And then unknown. So at some point it detected somebody that it knows is hostile, but doesn't know what it is. Yeah. That's just like An
1: extra extra field for, okay, we don't know who this is, but if you detect anyone else, yeah, make this light light up.
0: Yeah. Like it knows the intention of the mutant, even though we haven't met it yet. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So it needs a little, it needs to be fine tuned a little bit, but the design is cool. Super
1: early appearance of Omega, the unknown, but that's a random, very (laughs) obscure reference. Could be. Um, Many. Scott, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. I was gonna
0: say Scott is such a, uh, a dour sourpuss guy. Mm-hmm. Who is it that does the um, um, some sort of? Oh, it's what's that X Men podcast we love so much that I don't?
1: Jay and Miles explain the X Men.
0: Yeah, she's got like a, a uh, sketchbook collection of times that Cyclops is happy.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so
0: like the artist gets to pick like him eating ice cream or something because so, so, like the idea of him being happy is never in
1: these books. Cyclops having a good day is, like, such a random thing.
0: Yes. So now he not only wanted to leave, now he feels like he can't because he's all about obligation and guilt. But, like, he can't even go to the carnival with them because, no, I better stay behind and, what, pay the PG&E bill or something, I guess? I guess. Like, why can't he go? And why is, like, he's immediately separating himself from them as their leader, which I suppose kind of makes sense. But you have been their friend and their teammate for four years um, So it is also a little weird That you just put on a green suit And s- sit behind a desk And act like you don't know them
1: Maybe he just figures That he's supposed to do What Xavier did Like that's his job now Yeah That is exactly what he's doing um, He also talks about How he's lo- he was wanting to leave The X-Men And he was going to go like Find a doctor Who might be able to fix his eyes And I'm just wondering If he should call Karen Page Because I hear she knows a doctor in a In a backwater hometown Somewhere That can fix eyes I don't get that reference. There's a daredevil reference.
0: Oh, fix eyes. Yes. Boy, that's weird. I forgot about that, that he said that though. Like, it's funny as of this recording, we just kind of finished recording, uh, X-Men three, which the big crux is like, you know, should you cure your Mm mutinism? If you could. And here he is like trying to do that. Yeah. Or is he trying to just fix his eyes to this point where like, they don't just blast all the time. Like he's not trying to get rid of the lasers. But he wants control over them, so maybe if you got the right contacts or
1: something. Dude, why is Cyclops never wearing contacts? Because
0: there's no Ruby Corpse contacts. Possibility? Yeah. You'd think. Ask Tony Stark. He can invent elements.
1: So we've talked about how it's a it's it's an unusual power. It doesn't it's not supposed to be used, but I've come to the conclusion that this is just the way things are. Magneto's telepathic. Magneto has Xavier's <laughs> power set plus magnets.
0: Well, There's another way to read page eight. Strange. This is a mental block. I cannot penetrate his mind. That's because you're not telepathic. (laughs) But no, yeah, he straight up is apparently telepathic. I'm interested to like read the handbook now and see if they actually say like that as part of his known powers or something.
1: Yeah, I I went online and talked to the people at the Marvel Fans, you know, Facebook group and the Age of X-Men Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Evidently over time, um, it comes out that his helmet... Actually gives him uh, some limited telepathic powers. He does not have them innately.
0: Well, I'm I'm down with that because then at least it explains the weirdness without actually giving him that ability.
1: Right. In the Avengers versus X Men miniseries from the 80s, one of the plot points is him needing his helmet because he's like la- he's lacking those telepathic circuits and he wants them.
0: I guess if you wear the helmet also to block telepathic attacks, it could stand a reason that it also works the other direction.
1: Although blocking know. telepathy is not a comic thing. That's a movie thing. Oh, they never have that in the comic? I think after the movies have it, the comics eventually have it. All right, so that was a great
0: idea. Yeah. Why is he wearing this dumb helmet all the time? That's why. Okay. For the
1: style. He is a diva.
0: <laughs> it is a cool. He likes the knights.
1: So Bobby has um, a prospective girlfriend. He's flirting with Zelda. She is the... Um, Waitress at this random coffee shop. By the way, side note, rewinding the podcast just a little bit, this place is in Greenwich Village, mm-hmm. and the Thor story said that Doctor Strange was also in Greenwich Village. Sure. And I was not entirely certain that we had seen Greenwich Village established as his location yet.
0: And did you find out, or am I supposed to remember? Because I don't I I, could, I,
1: I, I did not go looking. I feel
0: like yeah but that's the problem with like knowing things that are gonna come is like you kind of don't pay attention to when things first happen
1: right and they could just be in a random captions and we don't pay attention because the captions are sometimes easy to skip over
0: I feel like they've had captions about his lair or where he lives so I don't know they probably have
1: described as being in Greenwich Village and I'm just not thinking about it but Zelda's last name is Kurtzberg so I have to believe that she's probably named after Jack Kirby okay definitely Jewish well, Jacob Kurtzberg is Jack Kirby's real name.
0: Yeah, is she a regular character, or I thought this was just a throwaway thing?
1: She becomes a recurring character for a while in this original run. Okay, cool. Mm. I didn't mm. know we were getting an introduction. Yeah, she's a she's a person.
0: Cool. Like like just like uh, Doris, oh.
1: Dory gonna, Evans. Dory Evans. We're going to be just as disappointed, probably. I think she has more to do overall than Dory Evans did. But we'll okay. find out as we go. Um, I hate whenever the boy I'm flirting with runs off with other boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yep. Yeah. This is so such a 60 scene right here.
1: Yeah. Page, it's so page 12. 60s.
0: Oh, jazz is still popular. And all these kids are digging it, in their saxophone guys. And I think someone's playing an oboe. That doesn't even make sense.
1: There's a bassoon in the band. Oh, is bassoon.
0: It? That's what I mean. Yeah. There's no bassoons in that, but okay, whatever. Um, the Blob, who's pretty much the uh, the point of the story, I guess. Yeah, um, I liked his second appearance as much as I liked, or his third appearance, I guess, right? Or is this his first? This
1: is his second appearance. This is his second appearance. I still dig him. He's still the Blob. Uh, yeah, he um, he. They don't really bring it up, but like he knows where the X Men live.
0: Well, he got blocked though. Oh yeah, he, once he's unblocked, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though it doesn't come into the story in text, it does explain subtextually why are those the, the team is so stressed about him getting his memory back.
0: Yes, good point. That would have been nice if they added that to the mix. But uh, I like that he's like, I wouldn't say he's neutral. He's obviously kind of, uh, you know, leaning towards not a good guy, but he doesn't really want to be on either team. And both guys are like, "Yeah, be with us, be with us." And he's like, "No, you're both stupid, and I'm just gonna go be the Blob." Mm-hmm. Which is funny because, um, like, you know, the X Men is all about like recruitment. Who's gonna recruit first? How did Magneto even find the Blob? I don't know. But
1: yeah, evidently he was just walking through the carnival one day. Or he well, he yeah. told the brother, but hey, I've had a he had a plan to destroy um, the X Men. We didn't hear what that plan was going to be.
0: Yeah. So is there any, like, see, I, you do a, you can, we should plug it. You do a let's talk Wanda Twitter thing Yeah. that I purposely it used to be at
1: it's Wanda time, but now it's at let's talk Wanda because that name became available. So there are three good moments for Wanda in this.
0: I was going to say, I, I skip over those cause I don't want to be spoiled, but yeah. What are, what are the three good Wanda moments?
1: So at the beginning, when we first see the brotherhood mastermind is really coming on to Wanda and she stands up to him. She has she has no time for him and it's just when he's starting to become physically violent before she has a chance to like respond hostilely, Magneto shows up and puts a stop to it. Mm-hmm. I feel like a she totally could have stood up for herself there. It was it's just she didn't quite do it yet. And b um whenever she tells Pietro that she's fine that that she's not hurt that helps reinforce the idea that it did ne- it did not get to a point where she was flustered by what was going on.
0: Yeah, she doesn't really respect Mastermind at all, does she?
1: No, and note for the Dark Phoenix saga way down the road, Mastermind has always been rapey. Yes. Like, his stuff with Jean is not new. No. Um, second really cool moment is that she saves Pietro during the fight. He's always so protective of her, but she's the one who saves him. Okay, yeah. So that's pretty neat. And then at the end, of course, Quicksilver has always stayed with Magneto because Wanda felt they should stay with Magneto. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this story, they're like, dude, this is not cool. You just tried to kill all of them, and we are not okay with all of the carnage. Um, and so P.H. like, okay, we're, you and I need to talk about this later, and that's when they leave. And this is basically the end of their journey with the Brotherhood.
0: And about freaking time. Because this is, like, the fourth time in a row where, like, the end is, boy, you're really horrible, but we owe you, so we'll go with you Mm -hmm. and escape with you. And they're, of course, escaping with him again. But finally, this time, she's like, listen, I know I owe you my allegiance, but I can't take any more of this craziness from you.
1: Yeah. Now, the br- the Brotherhood also get taken off the table for a while. So it's going to be a while before we see them again. But the next time we see Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the X-Men, I believe, is when they're getting ready to leave and go become Avengers.
0: Awesome. So, so yeah, speaking of leaving on that same page, Magneto throws three missiles at the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And Scott, the awesome leader, has this great idea. Hey, everybody, stand behind Blob real quick, right? <laughs> but if you notice, Angel grabs Marvel, or I was going to call her Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. And he's like, yeah. I'll shield you, Jean. And I was like, Warren, you're not really powerful. No. We, uh, you know. I know you keep thinking you're powerful, but you would have died if those missiles hit you in the back. I know you have wings, but they are missiles.
1: Right. And they can oh. be destroyed. In fact, will be. <laughs> Oy. So, yeah, yeah, he does get over go with Marvel girl. Um, and then he's like, stay back. Gene. There's no telling what he'll do next. I like, just imagine Gene just like giving him side eye. If Not anything, really do anything. Cause she doesn't need to yet, but still.
0: Yeah. Between the two of them, Jean's more likely to survive a missile attack than right. Angel, but
1: cause you know, she'll surround herself in a cocoon of telepathic power at the moment of yeah. the water crushing her. Right. That's the only explanation. Only possible explanation. So yeah. Um, so the pretty- blob is essentially an evil Hulk, right? <laughs> there's some parallels or, there yeah
0: just the hulk because the hulk kind of just says the same things i was just reading pals the blob has no pals i realize that now
1: that's totally a hulk line Mm-hmm. so hulk just want to be left alone yeah i just want to go back to the circus and pretend to be a robot all right so speaking of hulk mm-hmm.
0: let's talk about giant man
1: <laughs> so this t- is it kids
0: yeah tales to astonish number 60 brings back into the fold a regular story feature for the Incredible Hulk, which we haven't had since issue number six, way back in whatever year that was.
1: It's been over a year. So it's yeah, been over a year.
0: He's basically kind of meandered through other people's books, Avengers primarily, but also a little FF and some Amazing Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, it was um, the end of '62. Okay. So it's and been it's been a year and a half.
0: So last issue, he fought Giant Man, and now he's earned the right to split the cover right down the middle. So now And from a corner now, box. And a corner box. So from now on, we get a Giant Man and an Incredible Hulk story. This one, like I said, is issue number 60, excitingly written by Stan Lee, exquisitely drawn by Dick Ayers, extravagantly inked by Paul Reinman, and emotionally lettered by Art Simek. It's called The Beasts of Berlin, and it opens with Giant Man and Wasp, and Giant Man is surrounded by his fans, but... Instead of, like, just showing the movies of the time he got beat up, he's actually upset with them and, like, scaring them away. And Wasp was like, gosh, what's the matter with you? You're so evil. And his fans are like, it's okay, Giant Man. We understand. You're a person with the feelings and stuff. Um, but it turns out, like, Hank's best good ex-FBI friend, Lee Kearns, um, was investigating over the Berlin Wall or whatever the uh, some sort of like new technology he heard about, and he gets captured. So this has really made Hank upset, and that's when he uh, reveals to the Wasp. I think for the first time in this issue, or she knew about his ex wife. Remember, kids, he had a he had, not an ex wife. He had a he had a wife, um, and she died uh, in Russia. Like I guess, like I can't in even remember now. In Hungary, okay, but some sort of Soviet thing. So um, I can't even remember the circumstances of that. Like they went there back for a visit thinking it was safe and then she got kidnapped and he never saw her again and they assumed she was dead and all that stuff. So he's really been scarred by that. And for the first time he reveals that to the Wasp, she's like, yeah, I knew you had a wife. I never really knew what happened. And oh, poor Hank, so sad. And he's like, yeah, so that's why you're not going to Russia with me because, you know, just like her, you could be killed even though you're a superhero and she wasn't. But that's okay. And she's like, I understand, honey. Anything for you. And so he goes there and he goes to the wall and he turns to Ant-Man and easily scales over it with some cool Ant-Man stuff. And he finds his friend Kern in an interrogation room and he calls the ants to, like, attack the guard who goes running out of the room like, oh, ants are all over me. Um, At which point he... Makes his way inside as Ant-Man, turns to Giant-Man. He meets Kern. Kern's like, oh, yeah, hey, I know who you are. And he tells them all about this project. Apparently, the uh, Russians or whatever are, are have figured out a way to make apes intelligent. So they're going to make an army of apes, communist apes. It's like, oh, no, this is the worst because they're bulletproof or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, so they're trying to get out. Giant Man has to beat up one of these smart apes, which he does. And his friend's really impressed by his superhero awesomeness. Um, But then, like, I think it catch on to him and they send more apes. And he can't beat up six apes. He can only beat up one ape. So instead he turns to Ant-Man and escapes as the apes, like, attack each other kind of. Um, And then he gets an ant and he flies over to the gun that turns apes intelligent and he figures you know if i just cross this red wire with the blue wire i bet this happens and he points the gun to the bad guys and guess what happens it works in reverse and they all turn to like ape-like intelligence and they're all kind of like comically hopping around like uh monkeys for some reason not gorillas but anyway um and then what happens then oh he empire strikes back styles like those six apes that he escaped from earlier by flying around with a cable and and getting them all stuck. He then smashes the machine as Giant Man. He and Kern run to escape, and they just smash right through that Berlin Wall, at which point they're safe because they're on the good side. Um, Kern says, thanks. Giant Man flies home, and he and Jan uh, go out to dinner or something. Oh, she saw him on the news, and she's like, wow, you were really up to something. And he's like,
1: yep, and he smokes a pipe. It's been a long time since we had a Kami Bastard story. Remember them? Remember the Kami Bastards?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm kind of glad we don't have them that often anymore. Yeah. Iron Man, he, like, because the Mandarin's commie. Um.
1: Yeah, but they, they sort of make that a little bit different.
0: Yes. Super Kami. So, remember how
1: he had a wife?
0: I always forget that he had a wife, because this is only the second time they're talking about his wife, and it's the same story.
1: And it's never been mentioned since... But no. they did make a big deal at the time about how Jan looked just like Maria looked, and that's not the case here. Well, really? first of all, Maria's hair changes colors. I didn't notice from panel that. The panel, yeah, it's blonde in one, and, the, and like dark blonde in another, or right. like red maybe. Um, I feel like they read the Marvel Tales Annual, which reprinted that story, and they're like, let's revisit that idea.
0: So he's all mad and he tells – he's like, oh, one of my friends got captured. And she's like, who is it, Hank? And he's like, his name's Lee Kearns. He's an ex-FBI man. And there's an asterisk. Mm-hmm. And it says, see, Tales of Suspense – I'm sorry, Tales to Astonish 44. And I'm like – Did you go look at 44? Yeah, because I don't remember Lee Kearns. Nope. And I skimmed through it and there's
1: no Lee Kearns. So what are they talking about? Okay, so for all of you keeping track at home – Um, This was the Wasp's first adventure. Again, Mm -hmm. somebody read the annual. Um, There was a giant green booger blob from space. Right. Who killed Wasp's dad. (laughs) I remember that. And they found out that it was a big menace because of an FBI report. And at the end of the story, Hank calls the FBI to say, hey, we took care of the booger blob monster. And Lee Kearns is the person he speaks to. Oh, God. And there's a bit of a dynamic that Lee and he have talked before. Because Lee's like, Hey. You know, work with us. You don't have to go it alone. And mm-hmm. Hank's like, I'm not going to go it alone anymore. Now that I have a partner.
0: Okay, so I guess I didn't skim far enough because I thought it was it would have been in the Russian scenes in the beginning. You would the, have thought so, or right? The that was like in the Last
1: couple panels of the story.
0: Okay, so yeah, I had no memory of this guy, and it's like they're acting like we're supposed to know who his
1: best friend is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of dug. Ant-Man in this, like it felt like a return to old story tropes.
0: <sighs> right? I agree with you. I was like, dude, this is an example of why Ant-Man's cool and Giant-Man is not. Because even even Giant-Man's like, oh, I actually need to really accomplish this, so I'm going to do it as Ant-Man.
1: And Gi- he hardly does anything as Giant-Man in this. Right. Uh, it's a little bit unfortunate that Wasp gets uh, sidelined. Oh, We've gosh. had two issues of him changing her size for her, and now he just like leaves her at home.
0: Which I think wasn't fair because he's like, you know, oh, I don't want you to get kidnapped like my wife. But it's like, dude, she's the wasp. That's not the same as, you know, your civilian wife.
1: Also, your wife was a political refugee and you went back to the country where she was in trouble.
0: Oh, because it was going to be safe again, they thought. Yeah. (laughs) But he wasn't even a superhero when that happened. So it's like, I think you're okay to bring her now. But whatever. Scarred emotional guy. Despite the great power of Giant Man, this is one job that Ant-Man can do better. Just like like all the other jobs. Right. And he totally does. He does everything as Ant-Man except for one fight with an ape. And he somehow crushes a really um, powerful-looking machine as Giant-Man, even though I don't think Giant-Man has super strength, really.
1: Um, Once the gorillas get super smart, they wear clothes. And I'm thinking that getting the gorillas to put on clothes has got to be a neat trick.
0: Yeah. This is another example of an awesome um, um, German or... Communist plan that doesn't seem to really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you've got some smart apes. How does this help you with anything? Like, you can't use them to infiltrate anything because we're going to notice when it's an ape. Right? Uh, they're not bulletproof, and we have bullets. So, what are you? What is the advantage here of having smart apes?
1: Well, then you have an army of beasts. Imagine what it would mean—the strength of a gorilla, the intelligence of a human. What yeah. would it mean? I-, I don't know what that would mean. <laughs>
0: What if it means that they create a new society and don't like you? What if you have created the Planet of the Apes? Right? Have they not seen the Planet of the Apes?
1: Is this where this is coming from? Planet of the Apes? It is not a movie yet. It is only a book. Okay. When does that movie come out? Late 60s. 68, I want to say.
0: Okay. I bet you when we get to 68, there's going to be a lot of ape villains.
1: (laughs) Red ghosts in every series.
0: Oh, my gosh. Every issue. Yeah, this just seems like you're asking for trouble. Like, how inte- Are you just making them just intelligent enough to wear their slaves? Or are they going to outsmart you at some point and realize they're smarter and stronger than you and take over?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And also, you used the ray on people, and it worked just like you suspected the ray would affect them in the reverse. Why did you expect that? <laughs> Why did you not suspect it would actually make the humans smarter?
0: There's always a reverse, and there's always an antidote. And I'm not really sure how that works, but... And he did yeah. that real fast, too. Like, that's just off-panel fast, but whatever.
1: But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this if you are. I'm ready to talk about some Hulk.
0: Let's talk about some Hulk. Okay. So that's what we're really here for. He right? finally has returned. It's just had to happen. The Incredible Hulk has finally been awarded his own series, sort of. Written by Incredible Stanley, illustrated by Incredible Steve Ditko, inked by Incredible George Bell, lettered by Inendible? inedible inedible i can't say that word sam rosen um so it starts out with the hulk in his that cave we know and love or a cave we know and love and he's really upset because he's turning back to bruce banner and he's like no i don't want to i don't want to be banner and he fights it and fights it but it doesn't work and ultimately banner becomes banner he's like wow where have i been oh no i better report back to work meanwhile at work ross is like where's banner and benny's like oh you're too hard on him i'm sure there's a reason but there's this awesome robot he invented it's indestructible we wanted to test it but he's not around to test it banner shows up meanwhile behind the scenes there's like a shadowy green goblin type figure who is there for nefarious purposes but they don't say who he is right um anyway ross uh, gives it to Banner in the usual way they do. Betty tells Banner that she loves him and she's here to support him. And if only he could tell her what's eating at him. He's, of course, thinking, if only I could tell her, but I can't because I'm the Hulk. And then he's thinking about that later when he's messing around with the robot some more and alone. He's thinking about all this conflict in his life between Ross and Betty and the Hulk. And he suddenly feels his heart speeding up. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I feel like... I'm about to change. Could it be this entire time that what really makes me change into the Hulk is when I get agitated, when my heart rate goes crazy, when I get under pressure? Because up until then, it's been other things like a knight or a machine or random whatever. So now he's starting to realize, oh, I should just stay calm. I'm going to be calm. No problem. So... As he comes up with that revelation and decides to be calm forever, Ross comes in and says, hey, we want to test that machine right now. And he's like, oh, but it's not ready. I don't care. And so that kind of agitates him. And then as he's getting it ready, he hears a noise and he goes to investigate. And that mysterious person that we haven't seen the face of is running away. So he tries to chase after him. But then he's like, wait, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that because it's making my heart race. But too late, he turns into the Hulk. And the Hulk doesn't care about Testing robots or anything. So he just kind of leaps away to go do Hulk stuff. So now uh, Banner's gone again. Uh, this mysterious guy knocks a scientist out or kills him. I can't remember which. And climbs inside this suit of armor that's supposed to be tested that Banner created. Everybody the next day, like, assumes that it's Banner in the armor. So it's like, ready, go ahead. So the armor is lumbering around. I guess it was invented to, to withstand, like, atomic blasts. So they start throwing bombs at it and stuff. And it's doing good. Um, Meanwhile, though, Ross finds out that the scientist has been murdered or, you know, knocked out or something. So they assume that it was, it was a banner inside the robot who did that for some reason, because he hates banner. The robot reveals his true colors and starts destroying the tank that is supposed to be testing its invulnerability. So that doesn't help issues. Um, Meanwhile, the Hulk's kind of just meandering around and he sees this armor And he vaguely remembers that Banner built it. So that's enough for him. Banner built this thing. I don't like it because I don't like Banner. So he goes to punch it and it hurts his hand because the thing is actually invulnerable. But it's also very slow. So it tries to punch the Hulk back and he easily dodges it. Then the Hulk then spends like the next couple pages throwing rocks on it, kicking it over, picking it up. Because it only weighs 10 tons. So he can easily pick it up and tossing it around. But it's not actually hurting the armor. It's just that the guy can't do anything to stop the Hulk from tossing him around, but he's also not getting hurt. So this infuriates the Hulk who jumps on top of the shoulders of this Iron Man like thing and starts beating on it. But apparently the Hulk also suffers from the same affliction as Bruce Banner. And when his heart rate goes up too high, he turns back to Bruce Banner. So that happens and he runs away luckily and falls down a cliff before anybody can see that that's what happens. Um, the MPs on the base find Banner. They assume that some shenanigans with, happened with the robot, but they also realize that he's not the guy who's been in the – I keep calling it a robot. It was a suit of armor. He hasn't been in the suit of
1: armor the whole well, they time. They call it a robot in the
0: comic. Okay. Well, it's a robot that you can get in and move around. Um, 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 so they now know that it wasn't Banner this whole time being a traitor or anything. Banner, meanwhile, can vaguely remember the Hulk fighting the, monster, the robot and not winning – um <coughs> excuse me and that's pretty much it's kind of weird that's where the story ends they don't reveal who the guy is inside the armor um the hulk does not defeat the guy and you know banners left in his ripped pants to be chastised by ross and coddled by betty the end it's a, to be continued
1: yeah this is marvel's first serial comic strip Like the episode kinda comes to an end, but like lots of open endings and we're gonna have continuing action from issue to issue.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was kinda surprised it was over. And it left me wanting more for sure.
1: Yeah. I thought it was a little awkward that we never find out who the shadowy guy is, but I also kind of dug it because it is serial. Does that mean we never find out? No, we'll find out. I think either next episode. I think next episode we'll find out.
0: Yeah, that's what bugged me the most too, is who the heck is this guy? I cared less about hulk losing i just want to know who the guy was but
1: so this is steve ditko doing the hulk and i (laughs) feel like ditko definitely you can definitely see his stamp Uh on the way the hulk is being presented psychologically as you know a a, um psychologically tragic figure uh for a while we're going to have three ditko series spider-man doctor strange and the hulk okay um And I feel like the little blurb in the bottom left is so Ditko, starring the world's strongest mortal who dares to ask the burning question, can a man with green skin and a petulant personality find true happiness in today's status-seeking society? Like,
0: Yeah, that's really on the nose, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's
1: it's Lee's spin, but it's definitely a Ditko-style question.
0: But this is kind of what, not to get too real world, but this is kind of what is like... The stuff that put Marvel on the map is like, you know, we're talking 64 here. So lots of turbulent stuff going on. And people like characters like the Hulk here, like, you know, the anti-hero or the not hero hero was more Mm -hmm. interesting to kids than the guy who just does everything right all the time.
1: And, you know, having to live your life as a calm person and not being able to get agitated. Yeah. And when you do get agitated, you turn into an actual monster. Like, yeah, that. Is definitely a psychological split. Um, they haven't quite laid it on the entire formula because Hulk also can't get too agitated, which <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I know
0: it was so close. I was like excited because that was one of the things we didn't really love about the first six issues so long ago was that they. F- I felt like every issue they were trying to figure out how the Hulk works. Yeah. And then it's like, this issue right out of the gate. Oh, he figures it out. If I get agitated, I turn to the Hulk and I'm like, yes, finally, let's move forward now. But nope. They didn't figure out that the Hulk needs to be calm in order to turn back to Banner, which makes so much more sense.
1: I like the robot. I feel like the uh, right out of the gate here, we're getting and this is just my head cannon, but we're getting the um, underlying concept for the Hulk Busters
0: later. Do you think Iron Man's going reading this going wtf though?
1: <laughs>
0: Could be like um. Here's here's another instance of like if you're a scientist in Marvel, you just know how to do everything. Because
1: yeah, because Bruce what, Banner makes this armor. He makes this armor in a cave with a box of scraps, and it's
0: yeah. What was his What was his scientific background before this issue? It was bomb making, right? Which is chemical. So chemist yeah. or what? Not robot.
1: But I guess making a robot that is impervious to explosives would also fit in that category. I don't know.
0: It could. Yeah. I mean, it's it's at least connected that this robot exists to handle survive bombs. So it's something, I guess. It just kind of seems unrelated in a way. But it's a cool design. Um,
1: It is a cool design you were right that it's basically a suit of armor, but I kind of dig that they called a robot. And, and we see this in the first Iron Man film and the second Avengers film. When a human being is in an oversized suit of armor, there's mm-hmm. a lot of robotics going on. They're now controlling a mechanical machine. Right. They're not just walking around in armor. So I kind of dig that.
0: Which, you know, if you think about it, like even if like iron man's regular armor. You imagine that motors have to move that stuff, not just his own arms and legs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some servos interacting with his muscles on that. So
0: he's already invented the ability of his mind controlling mechanical things. So why not have a big giant armor that you just sit in the torso of?
1: Um, okay. So we have been pretty confident in pointing out sexism of the day in these comics. Um, we can't really ignore some implied homophobia going on from Thunderbolt Ross.
0: Oh, let's hear it, because I must have just ignored it completely.
1: Well, it's 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 implied, because okay. obviously Bruce Banner is straight. But the way that Ross talks about him, all I see is the fact that my daughter is in love with a weakling. How can you pick him when there are so many two-fisted, red-blooded men around here? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know... Banners to Namby Pamby, banners to effeminate, banners not a manly man enough. And just those kinds of concepts are very directly connected to homophobia concepts.
0: You think it's also the culture of the military um, that if you're not in the military, you're not good enough or certainly not good enough for a general's daughter? Yeah. There's also in the in within the military culture, there's also homophobia, too. So that all kind of goes hand in hand. But
1: yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that 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 military concept that real men join the army is wrapped up with homophobic ideas as well.
0: But do you think like if Bruce Banner, let's say Bruce Banner was a confident man instead of what he is, which is like kind of a reticent. Yeah. Kind of a doormat sometimes. But like say he was a confident man and he was I don't know. I don't know what it would be that would make Ross happy, but he's still not military. Would Ross ever be happy? Like, is there anything that Banner could be?
1: I don't know. That would know, make Ross happy? you figure happy? Ross works with a lot of civilians. He's mm-hmm. got to, with all the scientific stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I mean...
0: <sighs> but they don't all date his daughter, or try to. No, that's true. I don't know.
1: Maybe but, there are a whole bunch of other scientists that, bet that he would also have problems with Betty dating... But she's chosen this scientist instead of the officers and soldiers under his command.
0: I mean, it is weird though that, like, Banner is a bomb maker or inventor. So it's not like he's just like a peace loving, you know, hippie or something. Like, he invents things that can kill people for the military.
1: Yeah, he and Iron Man have that in common. Right. So I don't, I
0: mean, it's just a very Ross thing. I think, I think. You're right, it's probably homophobia slash, you know, anybody who's not in the military isn't good enough for my daughter. Because eventually they introduce characters that are military that he wants his daughter to date. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a good old boy's culture or something.
1: There's a certain amount of um, self-portrait in the way that Bruce Banner is designed in this. He definitely has a little bit of Ditko going on in his face. He looks more Peter Parker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Peter Parker has has moved a bit away from some of the self portrait stuff, but you can see it in, like, that first splash page, um, some of the panels on page three. In fact, that middle panel on page three, uh, where the Hulk is, like, overshadowing Banner and the, the other floaty heads behind him, mm-hmm. that has a sort of design layout that we're going to see recur in our Spider-Man issue next episode. So okay. I wanna, Take a good look at that panel sort of put in the back of your brain.
0: I like it go on Hulk. I didn't think I would because I wasn't sure about the issue six that we left on because mm-hmm. he did that last issue instead of Kirby. Um, but it's kind of different now. I don't know if it's because he's grown in as an artist or had more time to do this. But, yeah, it's cool.
1: Yeah. And the stuff with Banner at the end, you know, it seems a little bit of a stretch to just jump on Banner and attack him for you know stealing the robot. But at the same time, I don't really see any other easy alternative explanations. The guy who was knocked out is like, it was Banner's lab. Who else could it have been? And they don't know where Banner is. He's supposedly in the robot. So they assume that he's in the robot. They have no reason to think he's not in the robot. And the robot starts attacking them. And then they find Banner on the ground later. So they're like, I...
0: Yeah, that combined with um, Ross just... Complete J. Jonah Jameson hatred for Bruce Banner. Yeah, gets you that assumption. Hey, isn't there a part in here somewhere that says like Hulk never fully realizes that he's Banner? Because that's yeah. a, that's a revelation, kind of, or not really. It's always
1: been kind of yeah, it's always been kind of gray how much Hulk remembers of Banner. Like even when he goes to Banner's house in the very first issue, he gets there, but he doesn't really seem to connect with anything.
0: Mm -hmm. And he always calls him Banner like he's a person that he hates. Right. But like at the beginning of this story, he's also like, I don't want to change. So he understands that he changes.
1: Yeah. The transition scenes are always the most blurred and maybe that's uh, nature of the beast. Because he's
0: switching from one mind to the other. So maybe at some point he understands both sides for a brief moment. For a brief time. Yeah. That's interesting. Like he's both Hulk and Banner for 10 seconds. Every so often. Yeah, I like that actually. Yeah. Um, And then I also like that they kind of went into how Banner, too, we haven't had this before. Like, Banner can have hazy memories of what the Hulk did while he was away. Yeah. So we haven't had that.
1: Yeah. Both of them can like hazily, vaguely remember. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum of Thor and Don Blake. Thor and Don Blake are fully aware of each other, Mm -hmm. they can even tap into each other's minds voluntarily. Yeah. Hulk and Dr. Banner cannot voluntarily change back and forth and also only have vague concepts of each other's lives. Yep. Just more drama, more stakes. It's a pretty solid outing
0: to the Hulk series. I was happy to have him back. I missed the guy. I mean, we I, we haven't really been without him, but
1: I don't know. We were for like a while cuz from the Incredible Hulk number 6 until the Avengers number 1, we were hulkless. That's true. And
0: then when we have had him, he's been like an antagonist or just a plot device so now he gets to star again yeah so that's cool
1: the actual story of this issue is not i mean nothing extra extraordinary but no. the stuff done during the course of the story is some pretty cool whole stuff
0: I'm kind of surprised it it doesn't right it didn't flash back to his origin at all you'd think they want to no. like they'd want to redo that for this
1: hmm. uh, well they just they just had the marvel tales annual
0: oh that's true yeah, so
1: they're really expecting you to have bought that Marvel Tales annual.
0: I know, and we didn't even cover it. Shame on us, some Marvel oh, fans.
1: But we, we, we did. Just, you know, we did.
0: You just have to piece the episodes together. Yeah, they're <laughs> back there. <laughs> we should make a purposely make an episode that covers them by just editing episodes. I was together. saying the
1: exact same thing. And now Marvel Tales <laughs> Annual One splice in. <laughs> That'd be funny, but then we'd we have to do that Patreon for people.
0: We have to do that for every reprint.
1: Oh, that would be so much pain. <laughs> it's just not worth it.
0: We probably get like three downloads on it. Right, right. Well all there right. you go. That's our that's
1: our three issues for this, right? Yeah, that's our episode. Nice. The Hulk so, is back, everybody. Um, Hulk is back. Bigger and better than
0: ever before. Yep. Yeah. And the block's mem- the blob's memory has returned and Loki is back in Asgard prison, which means nothing, we all know. Yeah.
1: Being in prison has no effect on Loki. <laughs> so while I bring up our Twitter followers, where uh, what's our homework for next episode? Oh, homework.
0: All right. We got another three issues. We'll do Sergeant Fury number 10, and it's on to Okinawa. That's all I know about it. Uh, Tales of Suspense number 58. Oh, that's just a little unimportant issue where um, Iron Man fights some... Red, white, and blue guy. And then Strange Tales number one twenty five, where the new book of Thing and the Human Torch
1: fight Submariner, it looks like. All right. I forgot that it was so I thought it was like two months before Captain America gets his own strip, but it's one month. Yeah. This month they fight, next it's, month he starts. Right. That's that's how it works now. You fight the
0: guy who has the title and then you get to split down the middle.
1: All right. So over on Twitter, want to say hello to some people who've been following us recently. Uh, Bob Manoilovich has followed us both on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Quinn Green at Quinn2017. Bill Patino at Cloud Giant. I have a nerdy mind at Black Sheep number one and Uber Nerd. Comics are life. Uh, too young to be a beatnik and too old to be a hipster. Actual honest to goodness comics professional Alex Segura has followed us. Which is pretty great. It's our first check mark on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, he wrote The Archies, where oh. um, Archie and the band went on a um, musical escapade, and I uh, think about five issues back uh, a year or two back. I really enjoyed that. He is currently the co president at Archie Comics. Wow. So, Alex, if you are listening, I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, Corey at GamerCorey33. Tyler Romo at Weird Movie Freak. Hashtag Who Would Win at Who Would Win Show, which is a geek and comedy podcast debate between characters from comics and sci-fi, hosted by James Gavsey. We have Patrick Sharp at Please 13, an L.A.-based library aficionado and nerd. Cinematic Age of Comics – at cinema age comics, anything and everything related to superhero comics in the 21st century. And finally, Thomas Elsby at Thomas underscore Elsby Tortured Soul Courtesy of LUFC comic book reader and collector. So thank you all for following us on the Twitsters. Um, if you you know see us tweeting on Twitter, please feel free to retweet new episodes. Feel free to mention and talk us up in your own circles. We really always appreciate that. It helps other people know that we are here doing our show. Um, And where can they find us? If you search by our name, Make Ours Marvel, in your favorite podcast
0: app, we should hopefully pull up there. Um, Otherwise, go to MakeOursMarvel.com, and every episode there has a post. You can just click play on, or there's links Specific links to like iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher, and also those social medias that we thank you on are on there, so Facebook and Twitter. And lastly, you can email us, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We promise every once in a while we do a mailbag episode to read your letters and have fun with them, so write in.
1: Scheduling has been a little bit weird lately, so we have not had a mailbag in a while, but we do have plans to do one in the very near future, so that is definitely coming. In fact, as this episode comes out, there should be a mailbag, either like with it or just recently or maybe next week. It, it, it's, it's like our plans are in the media future. Um, over on Facebook, we have recently been liked by Kevin Arthur O'Donnell, Mike Jameson, and Brian Major. So thank you for liking us there. Please feel free to share our posts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My Twitter there. Uh, My pinned tweet has links to all of my other Twitter stuff for the other stuff that I do. All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast, Super Selly Sentai, an audio commentary podcast on the first Super Sentai series, which is like the precursor to Power Rangers. Um, At Let's Talk Wanda, which is a tweet blog about Scarlet Witch. At TFUK Podcast, which is the beginnings of a Twitter about the podcast I'm launching this fall. And I think that might be it. That's not enough. I guess not. I need to do more. You need to do more. Stay tuned for new releases. Yeah, stay tuned. Okay. Well, that wraps us up. So thank you all for listening. Until next time, and until Cerebro becomes sentient and gets a body, make ours Marvel. marvel.